We are in the second week of our September series on liturgy. And so we're taking this month just to look more deeply at what we do on Sunday mornings. Uh, When we come here, this is not just empty ritual and exercise for us. There's something profoundly deep that is happening here. And so as a church, we want to understand that better. We want to lean into that because God has promised to move in some distinct ways when we gather for worship. And so this morning, we are going to consider the role that singing plays on Sunday. Why, when we come here, do we sing? And if you've been in the church, if you're familiar with the church, you know something about Christians. We like to argue about things. There are a lot of things that we love to argue about. And one of the things that we most like to argue about is music and singing. And I'm not talking about whether or not you should listen to rock music or if you play ACDC records backwards, there's hidden satanic messages. I'm talking about what we do on Sunday mornings, the kind of music that we, we sing on Sunday mornings. I remember when the, the church that I was a part of when I was in high school through my mid-20s was going through this transition in worship style, and the big sort of debate was drums. Should we use drums? Well, some people were like, no way, we don't use drums. Some people, you know, my generation, all the young kids, yeah, we, we want some drums. Let's get some drums. And, and what the worship leader ended up doing, because he was more along the lines of, yeah, we should bring in drums and, and do this a little more contemporary style. He started a just contemporary singing time before the regular service. Not a, not a whole on separate service, just, hey, if you want to sing with some drums, come on or a little bit earlier and we'll be in the gym and we'll, we'll sing there and, and we'll get our drum beat on. And then eventually the compromise happened where we, we got electric drums. So you can control the volume of electric drums. Uh, and so that, they eventually moved into the worship service. But this is the kind of thing that happens in the church. And we need to own that. We, we argue about things like this. And, and what ends up happening is we reduce this topic of music to things like personal taste or whether or not we're being attractional to certain generations and, and whether or not people will come and enjoy our music. And, and so we can become somewhat consumeristic because we want the musical style to be a particular way and, and we want to feel good because especially if the preaching isn't very good, well, I at least need to get something out of the music. And so we we can become consumeristic in the way that we view singing. Now, there are certainly discussions worth having regarding worship music, both in the content and style. There's nothing wrong with personal taste. And musical styles, no matter what context and what culture you've ever been, the style is going to reflect the context and culture in some way. And so we have discussions about what that's going to look like. We want our music to be beautiful and appealing. Those who are outside the church to hear that and go, there's something beautiful in that. And so we care about those things. We want it to be attractional to those who do not know Christ, to draw them in, to know Jesus. But if we don't ground our understanding of musical worship and singing in something much deeper and more profound, if we're not grounding it in the word of God, then our approach to music is going to tend to be shallow and reduced to consumerism. And so that's why we're going to take a morning to to consider what does God's word have to say about singing? Why do we sing in the first place? And so that when we, we enter into our worship and we engage song, we're doing so with a proper understanding, a deep understanding It's part of our liturgy. Singing is meant to be a means by which God forms us and shapes us. He ministers grace to us through singing. It's a means by which the Spirit implants the life of Christ more deeply into us. 
and conforms us more and more to the image of Jesus. There's something profound going on when we sing, both on Sunday mornings and throughout our lives. And so last week, we began our series looking at how the Spirit uses the Word of God to restory us and characterize us. And so I'm going to use those same categories this morning and look at how the Spirit, through the Word of God, uses our singing and it restories us and characterizes us. Before we look at those things, I want to just take a few moments to just consider the act of singing and, and what music does to us as human beings. Because God has wired us in our bodies to respond to music in distinct and particular ways. It's no accident that music has the power that it does. We're wired to respond to music in a distinct way. Music and singing are powerful tools for storytelling and teaching. And so in ancient cultures where literacy was minimal and people had very low access to books and written materials, oftentimes teaching was done through song. Great stories were told through song and poetry. Why? To help people remember them, to help them understand, and and, and so it wouldn't go away, they wouldn't forget those stories. And we see this today. When you teach your kid the ABCs, do you just tell, just, hey, just tell me the ABCs? No, you put it in song form to help them memorize it. Those of you that maybe teach your kids multiple languages, sometimes you'll use that to help them understand another language. You put things in song to help them understand and memorize. Study after study has been done to show when you, hey, when you listen to classical music when you study, you, you retain information better because of the effect music has on the brain and the way it engages you and your mind. And so music has this distinct ability to help us understand and process and remember things. And in the context of the church and knowing God's word and being shaped by God's word, this is what theologian John Frame says about music. Human speech has a kind of natural music about it. Rhythm, timbre, and pitch play important roles in verbal communication. In one sense, all language is musical. But when we enhance the natural music with well-crafted melodies, harmonies, and instruments, our words often take on a new kind of vitality. In particular, poetic musical forms impart vividness and memorability to God's words. So just listening to music, and if we listen to the, the, the music and the poetry of the Psalms, just hearing this, there's a vividness and a memorability about it that will these words deep into our minds and into our souls in a distinct way. But when we engage in singing, this is more than just listening to music. When we sing ourselves, then music embeds truth and facts and stories and, and, and who we are in Christ more deeply into our minds and our souls and our hearts. And it touches, as, as Eric said this morning, our entire body our entire person, our entire being. See, we aren't just brains on a stick. We're not just minds. We are fully embodied people. And what music and singing does is it takes the truth of who God is and his words and puts it into us all throughout the nooks and crannies of our being. See, there's a physicality to singing that calls on the whole body to respond to who God is. And we see this in Scripture. When Scripture calls us to worship, it's an entire embodied experience. It's not just our mouths. So from our passage in Psalm 149, verses 3 through 5, let them praise 
his name with dancing. Make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. This passage and many others in the Psalms talks about praise and worship and singing, and it's using the entire body. Clapping, singing, dancing, hitting instruments, raising arms, using our voices. And so when we worship, when we come together, we use our entire bodies. We sing, we raise our hands, we clap. Some of y'all need to learn how to clap on beat, but we clap. <laughs> Some of you, if you want to dance, I don't see much dancing, but, but sometimes the songs and the truths so well up inside our soul that we can't help but dance and respond in joy to what the Lord has done. And so when we take the power of words and music and worshiping, with our whole bodies, when it becomes an embodied thing that we do, the effect is the spirit forms our entire person. In his book, With One Voice, Reggie Kidd speaks of this effect. He says, the psalter is full of physicality. Texts are sung, hands are lifted, hands are clapped, knees are bowed, stairs are walked, instruments are played. And here's, here's what it is. The words are designed to become a part of us. And they do that by our physical contact with them. We're supposed to chew on them, sing them, and play them so that they can orient us to who God is and who we are in relation to him. That's what we're doing when we're singing. We're, we're, we're allowing the word of God and God, the life of God and who he is, our whole body to be reoriented around him. And so God has created our minds and our wills and our emotions and our affections to respond to music so we can respond to him. It is a powerful tool of formation. And so let me ask you, how are you being formed? To ask it another way, what songs are you singing? And how are they shaping you? Now again, I'm not talking about what kind of music are you listening to. I'm asking and I'm saying, hey, you're being formed by some song. You're being formed by something, and is that thing forming you in grace and truth and beauty and righteousness and holiness and freedom and repentance in life? Or is it shaping you in sin and rebellion and selfishness and pride and alienation and ultimately death? What we do in singing is vital because of how it is shaping us. And so when we see that the Lord gives music and singing to his people and calls them together, to use it for their formation. What God is doing in this is he is calling us to restory ourselves, meaning that there is a narrative that we're believing one way or another. There's a, a way we are making sense of the world. And in our singing, God wants us to restory, tell ourselves the true story, the true narrative of what is real. And in doing that, we embed that narrative in our entire being. And so in Psalm 149, the psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So Israel is to sing to the Lord and praise him. They are to be glad in their maker, rejoice in their king. All of these terms are loaded. Maker, king, Lord, children. They're loaded with history. They're loaded with meaning. Like they, they're not just kind of free-floating words out there. Oh, yeah, king, maker. No, Israel understood there's a story behind each of these terms. And so in the Psalms, God repeatedly calls the people of Israel to sing 
to remind themselves of the story. Remind them of who they are and what God has done. And so if you go through the book of Psalms, you see this happening in different ways and different angles. But Psalm 106 is unique in some ways because it is an incredible history lesson from the beginning to the end. It captures the entire history of Israel up until that point in one song. And so I want to I read just parts of this Psalm 106. I'm not going to sing it to you because that would clear this room very quickly. But I want to read this. And, and this, just remember, when, when Israel got together corporately, as we're doing this morning, to worship, they would sing this song to restory themselves. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. So they're singing, praise the Lord, because we're sinful and we didn't deserve to be rescued, but God rescued us. He showed his mighty hand, defeated our enemies and saved us from slavery. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. They mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They poured out innocent blood. Thus, they became unclean by their acts. So we see rebellion. Israel, despite the love and grace of God to save them, still rebels. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nation so, they might, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. And so God brings righteous and just judgment on the people of Israel for their sin. And if you, you read through the Old Testament, you see there are these moments where Israel repents and God delivers them, but then they fall back into sin. Then God delivers them when they repent, and then they fall back into sin. So there's kind of this cycle that they, they are reciting in song about their history. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There it is again. In the midst of their sin, God still saves because he loves his people. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. And so this is Israel being released from exile and allowed to go back into the land. And then this cry, God, save us completely. Save us this, this hope and expectation that, that there still needs to be a full restoration, a full deliverance from evil. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And so they're still crying out, God, save us. We're putting our hope in you. We still need to be saved. And so Israel tells themselves this story. They sing this story so that it becomes a part of them. It is the story that defines their identity. It's the story that defines who they are. All those other narratives that they're hearing out in the world, this is the one that was being embedded into their souls. And for us as a church, Israel's story is our story too. 
because we too are sinful, rebellious people. We spurn God's love and his grace and his goodness, and we chase after wickedness. We love to serve the idols of money and sex and pleasure and status and power. We, in small ways and great, oppress and harm others and use others for our own selfish gain. And so we deserve God's righteous judgment because of our sin. We have sinned against the holy God and we are guilty before him. But yet, just as he was faithful to Israel, so too is God faithful to save through Jesus Christ. In spite of our sin, not because we deserved it or had done anything good, but in spite of our sin, because God is full of grace and mercy, he freely saves and redeems And he sent to Jesus Christ to be the punishment for your sin and mine. He's poured out his grace, his steadfast love, his covenantal love on those who are in Christ. He has gathered a people from every tribe and tongue and language to be his children and to worship him and praise him, to be remade and formed in the image of righteousness and goodness and truth and grace and self-sacrificing love. And he is a God who one day will end all evil and suffering and oppression and bring full restoration and redemption to his creation. That's the story we sing. That's why we sing songs, whether from the Psalms themselves or other well-crafted hymns and praise songs that speak of these truths, that speak of the great salvation that God has accomplished. We sing songs to embed this narrative in our whole being so that it becomes the thing that defines us. Because here's another thing about music. When music forms us kind of at the deepest level of our souls, it has this way of haunting us. It has a way of staying with us long after we've sung a song or maybe years after the last time we've sung a song. I mean, you've ever had those moments where a song pops into your head, maybe from childhood or 10 years ago, and you're like, where did that come from? I haven't listened to that for a long time. And, and it evokes certain emotions or a certain identity or a certain story that, that comes out and resonates with you. It's because that music has gone deep into your soul. I remember earlier this summer, it was weird. It was like this three weeks straight where I had the most random songs coming into my mind. And I wanted to catalog them on Twitter just to keep a record of all the songs. It was weird. But the weirdest one was this country song from the 90s by Pirates of the Mississippi called Feed Jake. Anybody hear the, hear, listen to the song? You know what song I'm talking about? It, it is a, it's random because it's this weird like political song about how we divide one another through different kind of affiliations and making judgments. And then the chorus just goes into, hey, if I die, feed my dog. I have no idea the connection between the verses and the chorus. But I remember listening to this song all the time as a kid. And I would sing it all the time, even though my dog wasn't named Jake, his Buford. But I sang this song all the time. And so w- when it was popping into my mind, like all these memories of childhood were coming back. And, and it was largely good. And it was, it was kind of this, oh, wow, cool, nostalgia. And so music has a way of haunting us. And so when we sing truths, deep, rich theological truths about who God is, when we come on Sundays and it embeds in us, Man, it has the effect of haunting us throughout our week and our days and our years. It's like that narrative of who God is just doesn't leave. And it comes out and it comes up in moments when we need it. It comes through when we're living our lives. That's the power of singing. That's the power of embedding these truths on Sunday mornings. 
And so God's word restores us. And with restoring us, God's word also characterizes us. It tells us who we are in the story. If there is a great narrative that God is writing, we are a character in that story. And singing is a powerful way for us to embed our, and our identity, to grow in our identity. And we see this. Nations have national anthems. We sing the national anthem to embed our identity as citizens. This is who we are as citizens of a particular country. Universities have fight songs to embed that identity. I am a part of this university. Branches of the military have songs. And I'm going to be honest, I only know the Marine Corps song. I don't know what that says, but I don't know the other ones. But, but this embeds an identity as either an airman or a soldier or a Marine. And so we understand singing songs to gain an identity. And so we do this on Sundays as well. Singing is a way that the Spirit embeds our identity in Christ, who we are and what we're called to. The Spirit uses singing the word and singing truths to form us more in our identity. So Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so one of the ways we know that the, the word of God is richly dwelling among us, that we're being shaped and formed, is that we're a singing church. Now, what I, what I mean by that is not just that we sing songs on Sunday, because most churches do that. But there's a difference between a church that just sings and a church that sings. And so if we're, we're a church that really sings, that is a sign that, hey, the word of Christ is dwelling richly. We're in tune with the narrative. We're in tune with our identity. But here's the other side of that. If we want to be formed more richly in the word of God, if we want our identity in Christ to be more deeply embedded and in, in it to be forming us and shaping and transforming us, then we sing. We, we are transformed and made more in the image of Christ as we sing these songs, as the word dwells richly in us through singing. And so singing becomes a vital part of our formation and our identity in Christ. And so we see in scripture that we sing to be formed as those who love the word and follow it and teach it. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We sing the word to be those who anchor our identity and our lives and our ethics on the word of God. We sing to be formed as those who go and proclaim the gospel to this world. Psalm 57, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. If you go and read Psalm 57, David is writing this surrounded by his enemies. He's in exile from Israel. He's, he's in a hostile environment, in a hostile culture, and he says, in the midst of that, I'm going to sing and tell of your mighty deeds and evangelize who you are, God. And how does he form himself as one who can go into a hostile territory and talk about the Lord? He sings and he is shaped. We sing to be shaped as those who praise and give thanks and celebrate. Psalm 9 I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Those who praise and are thankful and are grateful. 
We sing to be formed as those who depend upon the Lord and go to him in prayer. We recognize, hey, I am not the be-all and end-all. And we fight daily to not be the center of the universe and do it all in our own strength. How do we learn more and more to depend on the Lord? Well, we sing of our dependence. As Psalm 5 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning. You hear my voice. Are we going to keep grinding out in our own strength? Are we going to come on Sundays and sing to the Lord, Lord, help me, I need you, and be shaped as those who depend on the Lord and his goodness? We sing to be formed as those who confess and repent. We know we are sinners. We are no, we are those who need to be forgiven and cleansed and be transformed. And so we don't hide that. We don't pretend. We come and we sing of the freedom that comes when we confess. Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's just, let's come clean. Let's be honest and let's be shaped in that honesty. Then we sing to be formed as those who lament over brokenness and suffer as those who trust in the Lord. Psalm 10, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. We cry out, God, there is oppression and injustice in this world, and we need you to fix it. God, we suffer and we're broken, and we need to be shaped as those who are going to trust you. And so when we come on Sunday and we sing, we put our dependence on the Lord, we trust in the Lord, we find comfort in the Lord, and he shapes us as those who trust in him even in the midst of brokenness and suffering. All of these things we do in other ways. All of these things we do in non-singing ways. But what this shows us is that singing is not something distinct and separate from our spiritual formation. It's another way of doing the exact same thing. This is what John Frame says. Music is not an element of worship distinct from all others. It is a way of doing other things. It is potent and powerful way of doing other things. And so, yeah, we do these other things in other ways. We you're listening to a sermon right now. I'm not up here singing. And so you hear the word. You, we confess verbally in non-sing-song ways. We, we praise God in ways that aren't in song. And so all of these things we can do without song, but song is a way to do them, to embed in our bodies and in our souls and in our minds in ways that are powerful and potent in, in a unique way that those other forms may not get to. It touches something deep in us. And the beautiful thing about this is that in times of need, in times where our world and our identity needs to be clarified for us, when we need to anchor ourselves in hope, sometimes just words won't do. Sometimes we need a song. I mean, when you're in the hospital room and you get that diagnosis of cancer, or you watch that loved one pass away, do you pull out some big theological textbook on the nature of suffering and death? Or do you sing, it is well with my soul? Parents, when, you're, when your kids are crying out in fear at night, yeah, you can go and show them there's nothing under their bed, nothing under the closet, in the closet, or you can pull them near and start singing truth over them. I guarantee you that's going to probably be a little more powerful. <laughs> 
but there's moments where we recognize that our identity, we need to be reminded of our identity. We need to be anchored in truth. And words are not enough. Something deeper in our soul needs to be touched. And the beauty of it is, is when we sing these truths and when they are embedded, they come out in those moments. And they provide powerful ways to anchor us in the life of God and for God to minister grace to us. And so we sing to be characterized. This is what Reggie Kidd says about theology. A theology that cannot be preached is not worth having, I once heard a preacher declare. I can't argue with that. Truth that can't be applied isn't worth bothering about. Here's a corollary to the preacher's quip. A theology that cannot be sung is not worth having either. Authentic Christian faith is not merely believed, nor is it merely acted upon. It is sung with utter joy sometimes and uncontrollable tears sometimes, but it is sung. Church, we have a theology, we have a God we're singing about. And so let's sing on Sunday mornings. Let's rejoice on Sunday mornings. Let's be shaped in song on Sunday mornings. And finally, we sing because we have a God who sings. Our God is a singing God. Music is an expression of his character and outflow of how he communicates with us. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Israel, Zion, you sing, you rejoice. Why? Because what God has done, and he is singing over you, join his song. God is singing truth over you. He is singing what he has done to redeem and save you. Join his song. And so we're not singing here kind of independently of God. We're joining the song that God is singing himself. And we see God is a singing God most powerfully displayed when we understand that Jesus is a singing Savior. So those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard and familiar with these lines, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he doing? Where are those lines coming from? Psalm 22 Jesus on the cross is singing Psalm 22. It's, it, 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 it sort of changes the nature of how you understand what is going on in Jesus' soul when you recognize he's singing Psalm 22 on the cross. Jesus is singing this song of exile and loneliness penned by David is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And so what this means is Jesus has stepped into the story. He stepped into history. And he is identifying with his people. He's identifying with those who have experienced the pain and alienation of sin, the pain of suffering. Jesus becomes the one on our behalf who is exiled from God because of sin. And he is singing about what that is like. He is singing the song of his people. And this is what Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? 
from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. If you go to Matthew 27, this is what the people say exactly to Jesus. So Jesus is singing Psalm 22. He is singing the greatest blues song ever penned. And he does that to identify. So when you sing in your sorrow, when you sing in your pain, Jesus sings with you because he sang that song for you. But it's not, that's not the end of the story. Psalm 22 ends in triumph. It turns from, God, why have you forsaken me? Why will you not deliver me? To, God has delivered me. Towards the end of the psalm we read, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. God did not abandon Jesus. He did not abandon him to sin and death and hell. He resurrected him in victory. And now Jesus in his resurrection and ascension sits. And what is he doing? He's praising the name of God the Father amongst the brothers. Who's that? The brothers. Well, if you go to Hebrews 2, you find out it's the church. It's you and me. Jesus is joining in our celebration. He's leading our celebration. So on Sunday mornings, when we gather, who's the lead worship worshiper? Who's the, the worship leader of this church? Not Eric, as much as he helps. Jesus is. Jesus is singing a song of victory in heaven right now, and we join in that song of victory. We join in that song of salvation and redemption, being led by Jesus himself because he accomplished it. And so Jesus is a singing Savior. He sings both in our grief, in our pain, and our suffering, <clears throat> excuse me, and he also sings in our victory. And so we join God, we sing on Sunday mornings. We join in a God who celebrates and who's entered into the story with us, a God who knows what it is to suffer, a God who has paid every price to redeem his people. And so sing on Sundays because Jesus sings with you. Sing in the hospital room because Jesus sings with you. Sing in your fear, sing in your pain, sing in your despair, sing when sin seems so powerful because Jesus sings with you. Sing for joy when you think no one's looking in your car or in the shower, but sing because Jesus sings with you. It's true, a theology that cannot be sung is not worth having. But we have a theology, we have a God who sings. And so church, let's sing loudly and boldly with all our being. As we gather corporately, let us sing that the Spirit might, be, might restory and characterize us as the people of God. And let's take that song into our world. Let's take that song into our families. Let's take that song into our neighborhoods, into our jobs. I'm not saying you need to sing at work but I'm saying let the song that shapes you flow out of you and affect how you live your life. It's no small thing that we do on Sunday mornings when we sing. And so church, I want to invite us all in to join God in his song that he may shape us and form us. Amen?